It's now time to go around the nation in Division Three football. And here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith McMillan. Thanks, Dave, and welcome back to the podcast, everyone. We appreciate you downloading us and giving us a listen as we get ready for the 2016 Division Three football season. This is the Around the Nation podcast for April 2016, and if you weren't expecting to hear from us in the offseason, well... Uh, we're here. We're going to be producing new podcasts on a monthly basis in April, May, June, July, and August. And, uh, you know, with my recently announced semi-retirement from D3Hoops.com, we'll do them next year in January and February as well, you know, presuming that the world doesn't come to an end and, you know, a NESCAC team wins a national championship and hell freezes over or whatever. So we'll see how March goes in 2017. We had intended to get this one out in March, but uh, missed by a few days. Uh, nonetheless, I welcome in Keith McMillan for the 10th season of the Around the Nation podcast. Uh, first, welcome back, and uh, secondly, boy, time sure flies sometimes. Has it only been 10 seasons for the podcast? I, uh, I remember sitting outside the USA Today building to do a 10-minute podcast. The first one was, uh, was just a short clip. We talked about a couple issues. Uh, that could well have been 2007. I'm sure I'm confusing it with kickoff going back to 2005, but yes, it's the offseason, and we are here. If it feels weird to you, it feels weird to me, too. Uh, for those of us who aren't lifting, running, or staring at spring practices coming up or in the midst of those spring practices, it can be easy to check out after the Stag Bowl and then kind of check back in when kickoff is released in August. So uh, so we'll bridge that gap for you. And if you stick with us for the whole podcast, you'll start to get that feeling again. So how these off-season podcasts are going to work is generally I'll be interviewing a few coaches and other newsmakers within Division Three football, and Keith and I will chat about what they said. It's a little unwieldy to get the two of us plus an interviewee online at the same time. Uh, and as you, if you don't know, Keith is in the uh, Washington, D.C. suburbs where he is the Redskins editor for the Washington Post. That's still true, right? Uh, yeah, my t- title would be assignment editor because I have more sports that I cover than just football now. But, what? Uh, yes. All right. Boxing, UFC, horse racing, all kinds of fun stuff. I think some of those are probably sports. Um, and I'm in the Minneapolis suburbs because this is home for me. And uh, we used to do this, as Dave said, <laughs> as Keith said. <laughs> First time I've called you Dave all season. Congrats. Yeah, you're in basketball mode I'm still. Totally in basketball mode as the shot clock winds down in the basketball season. Um, the first time Keith and I did this, as he mentioned, we were yeah sitting outside the USA Today building uh, where we used to both work together. Um, and uh, we used to be in the same place a lot. We've done this podcast like on baggage carousels and in yep. the concourse at Midway Airport and all sorts of places. So, yeah, those are the those are the days, man. We we were just kind of uh, figuring out how to make this thing work. Yep. So, uh, but Keith and I will also discuss some of the big topics of the day, week, month, year, and then come back and wrap up the podcast as well. So, our guests this month are uh, Don Morell. He's the new head coach at Wabash. Uh, Joe DePay, who's the uh, the as I refer to it in the interview, the fifth Southern Virginia football coach in 22 months or so. Uh, I had a chance to interview him in person when I was at the D3 Men's Basketball Final Four. And then we talked with Jeremy Urban, the head coach at Trinity of Texas. But before we get to those, I want to talk about some of the other topics that have a Division Three bent. And the first one, uh, Keith, is kind of the relatively recent news that the Ivy League is moving to eliminate tackling in practice. Um, and one of the things that uh, struck me, of course, is uh, you know, these guys are getting a lot of credit for something John Gallardi was doing for more than half a century and that uh, St. John's continues to do under Gary Foshing. Yeah, and for, for St. John's, it was kind of a unique selling point, I guess, because, you know, you came to St. John's for that experience to play football in a, in a I, I, for lack of a better term, in such an authentic way that they're all about the game and the um, – 
the 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 experience and the togetherness you know they weren't big on calisthenics i mean they they never hit in practice those were some of john's uh nose and of course the fact that we even refer to him as john instead of coach galardi is was one of his big things and so it, he made all that work and i think for the for the ivy league in this case it's going to be new to all of them but it seems like the logical next step the, the logical compromise for football for tackle Football for you know to limit the 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 head contact the the brain contact the future potential brain injuries uh, from the repeated contact over time uh, you, the, you can't eliminate it during the game but yeah. you can eliminate all that hitting in practice and and when St John's eliminated it one of the things that John used to say to us is that um, it kept his team healthy all season so there was actually an advantage to it even though those guys weren't tackling and practice they're working on tackling form of course um and i think this probably is going to be the way to go um it, it just seems like the most logical compromise to keep football around its, yeah in its current form right mm-hmm. we're not we're not going to switch the entire game to flag football if you want to still be able to play tackle and limit the hitting you know you, you take it out of, of times when you don't have to hit yeah i mean i'm, I'm really worried that just football as a sport is going to be marginalized if not you know perhaps outright banned someday just because of the brain trauma issues yeah and, and you know to say that you're worried about it i'd be more worried about the brain trauma than than missing football and i, I love All right, football. Fair, fair enough good point my, my whole entire life pretty much has revolved around it in one shape or, or form or another uh every job i think i've ever had i've covered football um, so, I mean, I, I, I love it as much as anyone, but I certainly don't, you know, you just hear the stories of, of um, you know, guys when they're getting older and you just don't want to hear any, anybody pay that, that price to play. Now, for folks who get to live the dream and play in the NFL for 10 years, some of them would say, well, I would trade my old age for this, this um, time as, as one of the you know, best athletes on the planet, one of the grandest warriors, most adored, make good money doing it. That all makes sense. But for someone who's going to play football in college, whether it's the Ivy League or whether it's D3, um, you know, that may not be a worthy trade-off, especially when the Ivy League and when D3, you put so much emphasis on the fact that you're playing the sport to help you develop as a man. um, But your brain is eventually what's going to get you your what's going to be your future. You know, your athletic future is it's, it's you know, Jeremy Urban's gonna, the guy we're going to talk to later on this podcast. One of the few guys who was able to have a professional athletic career after playing in D3 doesn't happen very often. So most of us, we really need our brains to be at full function. Do you think this do you think this starts a trend or kickstarts a trend? I, you know, as, as successful as it's been at St. John's, nobody else really picked it up in Division three. No, and, and, you know, it's weird because as good as St. John's has been, you would think um, Johnny's coaches would, would sort of trickle down into, into other schools the way Mount Union players have taken over as head coaches. You know, Dean Paul and Eric Rayburn, um, Frosty's guys moved on to other places from Pacific Lutheran to Greenville. Uh, just about everywhere good, you know, the, as you have that sustained, su- sustained success, um, Coaches move on and they t- they bring that philosophy with them. And I can't think of too many places off top where uh, where sort of it's like St. John's light. Um, but I don't know why you you wouldn't try it if you're under pressure from your administration or from uh, you know once you start to read about the 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 concussion research, um, why why you wouldn't give it a shot because it's the only way. It's just maybe not the only way. It's the most logical way to to keep the hitting in the game on on Saturdays without um, 
without having that constant repetitive hitting and, and the effect of it uh, be a risk that you, that you have to take with these college athletes. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think about the, the St. John's coaching tree, and a lot of those guys are in high schools. You can't do that in high schools as well because you still have to teach those guys how to tackle. So that's uh, I can understand why that doesn't happen there. Um, Fair point. Fair yeah. point. There's, uh, you know, obviously this time of year, a lot of coaching changes as well. And we did pick two uh, coaches who are new uh, to, to talk to in this in this month's podcast. But uh, Dave, I did it again. I'm going to have to edit that one. <laughs> I can't keep calling you Dave. I think it's, I think it's funnier if you keep it. <laughs> All right, fine. We'll keep going. This is an edit free podcast uh, almost. So Keith, your name is Keith. I'm going to write this down. Keith. Um but uh, I was surprised, I guess, um, by the the late move, uh, and I, you know, kind of looking at the way that uh, the the Savannah State job opened up, and then uh, Eric Rayburn leaving Wabash to go take it. Uh, so the Savannah State coach left for Elizabeth City State, which is a Division two school. Savannah State has really struggled. Uh, let's just put it that way. Um, I think we on the website it was something like two and thirty two over the last three seasons, something in that range. Um, you know, but Rayburn kept going out and applying for jobs, right? You know, we, um, you know, we obviously a very highly publicized, uh, um, application at Wisconsin Whitewater, uh, in the, in the previous, uh, postseason, um, and then continuing to do so this season. And he finally found something. I, first of all, um, I, I want to hear you, your thoughts about that. And secondly, I want to hear you think if he can even be successful there. We, my thoughts about him applying for other jobs. Yeah, continuing to do so, considering the success that Wabash has had uh, under him over the last few years. Yeah, I mean, Wabash, from a on-the-field standpoint, it's got to be one of the best places you could land in D3. And uh, we'll talk to Coach Morell in a couple minutes here, and he'll he'll um, kind of outline some of the reasons why you'd want to be there. It's such it, You get the administrative support. You get the alumni support. Um but it's also a small school, and so you have to imagine there's a there's a a cap on the on the salary that you could be paid, or a cap on how much exposure you can ultimately get if your dream is to coach uh, in Division One, or just or just you know the same reasons that that Lance Leipold and staff went to um, went to Buffalo because they they feel like they've done everything they can do at this level. Now they just want to see if they can succeed at at a, at a different level. So same thing for Coach Raber. Now I was stunned. I think when I saw the Savannah State, um, I, you know, because the, the the two institutions don't really match at all, right? But but that I think is maybe how you get your foot in the door uh, at a higher level. You know, he's trying to get to if you're trying to get to Division One, then you get in, you take a, and, and you don't want to go back to being assistant. We've had head coaches, you know, Elmhurst comes to mind, leave to be a quarterbacks coach in D, in D one just to get in the door that way. But if you want to remain a head coach, uh, that this was was one way to do it. Yeah, I would just be interested to know if 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 anybody can be successful there, and if he continues to, uh, it'll be interesting to see if you know three or four years down the line if he's in a position to take a a step up to a, a better program within FCS, or if he has to go back to being an assistant somewhere, or come, or you know could very well decide to come back and be a head coach in Division three again if uh, if Division one isn't all it's cracked up to be. Uh, that's actually a great point that, you know, you because he's had so much success and because he comes from the Mount Union coaching tree, he's had success at, at more than one D3 school, too. You know, he, he always could come back to D3. You're certainly right about that. So you, there's no harm when you're young enough to go give it a shot and, and always have that to, to potentially fall back
Now on the Around the Nation podcast, we're joined by new Wabash head football coach Don Morrell, who was elevated to the position uh, last week after Eric Rayburn announced he was leaving for Savannah State, a Division I FCS school. Uh, coach, thanks for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. You bet. It's been a pretty busy offseason at Wabash, hasn't it? First, uh, B.J. Hammer leaves to take the head coaching job at Allegheny, and now Rayburn is out after eight successful seasons as head coach. Has uh, it felt like uh, you know a, a bit of a revolving door or what? No, I, I think it's typical uh, when you look at the, the success Wabash has had, uh, whether it was under Eric or uh, Chris Creighton before him, um, other schools are attracted to the uh, you know ridiculously high winning percentage we have. And uh, certainly uh, BJ had been a head coach before out in California at Whittier College yep. and uh, certainly wanted a, a chance to be a, a head coach again. And then Eric had an opportunity to move up. Uh, fortunately for me, our, our staff is completely intact so it's been a really smooth transition and uh, we actually practiced we had our first practice yesterday went uh we we, we didn't miss a beat so uh we are doing uh, we're doing well out here I definitely want to talk about what spring practice is like in, in the North Coast Athletic Conference uh, at some point a little bit later. But I, I want to delve into you a little bit because, uh, you know, you've been at Wabash as uh, offensive coordinator for five seasons now, and you were head coach at Laverne for 12 years. But in between, you were out of coaching for a few years. What brought you back to the sidelines? Well, I, I really wasn't out of coaching. I just wasn't coaching at the college level after after 20 years. And I was a really young assistant uh, at the Division One level. I was a 22-year-old full-time assistant to offensive line coach at Cal State Fullerton. And then from there, uh, I did uh, four seasons there and four seasons as an assistant at Laverne as the offensive coordinator and then 12 as the head coach. Uh, I was burnt out. Laverne's a tough coaching job. Yeah. Uh, uh, my friend Chris Creek's done a nice job there. This, uh, last year they had some success, great success. Um, but I needed a break, and then I have uh, my wife and I have one kid, and I needed to spend some time with him. And so actually, I coached his uh, fourth and fifth grade football teams, and that may be the most fun I've ever had in my life coaching. Nice. nice. Uh, then I volunteered at a high school for a year uh, just for fun. I was in the private sector, and I, I was enjoying that too. But I knew BJ from Whittier College. Yep. He called me and said, hey, would you be interested in uh, coaching again? Uh, and to be honest, uh, I wasn't sure about it, but uh, Wabash is an amazing job. Uh, the all-male environment really uh, lends itself to, uh, you know, committed student-athletes, and uh, it has been fun here the last uh, four years. And then to become the head coach is a, a dream come true. I have to say, uh, fourth and fifth graders is about the highest level uh, that I've coached. So uh, <laughs> it's a, that was a lot of fun for me, too. But, um, you know, uh, in, in terms of the Little Giants, uh, you know, you mentioned, uh, you know, as in terms of an institution and that sort of thing, but you guys have a fabulous fan base, which is different than most places in Division III. Um, how does that change your job as head coach as opposed to when you were at Laverne and that sort of thing? Uh, there's much more uh, support, and, and I'm alum, uh, an alum of the University of Laverne, too. It's a great place. It, it just it doesn't have the support you get at Wabash College. Uh, our game day uh, is amazing. It's absolutely amazing event. It actually starts on Friday with motorhomes pulling up and people tailgating Friday afternoon. 
Um, and then the, uh, you know, we draw large crowds. And I, I think it's really a, uh, you know, it tells you more about the, the, the college itself and the love people have for Wabash College. And, and our crowds are a mix uh, of alums coming back to watch the, the team they love so much. And then really, really proud parents uh, who are thrilled their son made the decision to go to a, a college that academically is really rigorous. Uh, it's all male. These are kind of unpopular things in this day and age for <laughs> yeah. a guy to pick. Yep. Uh, but those are the guys we get, and they have fantastic families that love to watch them play football. You, you talk about the game day experience. I've been there for a Monon Bell game, and so I, I've seen it from that perspective, but you describe it as being not that all dissimilar for your other four or five home games. Uh, no, they're amazing. Now, there's, there's only one Monon Bell game, um, but, uh, you know, two years ago we opened up with Hampton, Sydney. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we had between, I don't know, four and 6,000 fans on our side. Uh, it was a great way to open uh, a football season. Uh, coming to a Wabash football game is a fun experience. And so this is a program which has had, you know, some ties to Mount Union, obviously, with uh, Rayburn having played there and uh, having been an assistant coach, being Larry Karras' nephew. But uh, what will you do differently? How do you uh, expect to put your stamp on the program? Um, I'm, I'm not going to change much, I'll tell you that. Uh, and, you know, with Division Three, obviously, you're kind of limited with time and whatnot. But with Wabash College, it's even more uh, because of the academic rigors our kids have. But... Uh, uh, I think uh, people are going to see some tweaks in the offense and defense, uh, uh, things I've done in my career in the past or things I've found in the last few years uh, that we haven't done. Um, but uh, I think people are going to, they're going to come out and they're going to see the Wabash football team they always uh, expect to see. We're talking with Don Morell, the new head coach at Wabash. Um, coach, will you be hiring a new offensive coordinator or will you be coordinating that as well? Uh, at some point, I will be uh, coordinating uh, or hiring a, an offensive coordinator. Uh, right now, we're just trying to uh, get all the kinks out. And, and to be perfectly honest, the, the last two days have been spent either planning spring practice and, and doing practice uh, or answering the over 300 emails and phone calls <laughs> I've received from our alums who uh, are passionate, uh, kind, thoughtful people, and incredibly supportive. You uh, you mentioned getting ready for spring practice. What does spring practice look like in the North Coast Athletic Conference? Do you get the full the full slate of practices, or do you have additional restrictions? We uh, at Wabash, we're going to go about four. We have the full, but we're going to go about uh, thirteen practices. And like everybody else, we're out there in t-shirts and and shorts and, uh, you know, working on more skill development, throwing the ball, catching the ball. Uh, we use part of it. Uh, it's kind of a conditioning agility time. Um, you know, you, you, you've got to make the best out of uh, what you have. And it, it would be great to have shoulder pads and helmets on. That's not the case. So uh, you, you get good at, at what the rules allow you to get good at. In kind of reviewing the program's history in the automatic bid era, you see a pretty big split, right? A bunch of playoff wins against teams from uh, conferences we would see as the non-power conferences in Division Three, uh, and just one win against any team from the CCIW, the WIAC, the MIAC, or the OAC. 
Where do you see the divide being most apparent between the super elite programs in Division Three and everybody else? Uh, depth. Absolutely depth. When we went up and played St. Thomas this year, uh, we felt like they had uh, four or five uh, better players uh, than we did coming off the, off the bench. So uh, our ones and their ones were pretty close. It's as you started rolling people in, uh, th I think that's what affects us. Uh, there, you know, we're as big as anybody at the top tier. Yeah. Uh, maybe not as fast, but we're as big as anybody. Um, but w w we need to try to create more, uh, uh, more depth to really to win at that next level. It's a school with, as you mentioned, uh, I guess somewhere between 850 and, and 900 uh, uh, full-time students, all male. Is there room to add another? You know, twenty-five, maybe fifty football players to campus. Are they? Would they let I you do that? I don't know if it's twenty-five to fifty. If, uh, for sure, though, it could be eight to eight to fifteen uh, would be the best we're probably going to get to do. And and then also, Pat, when you know when you get that deep into the playoffs, clearly we are the outlier in all-male school with you know nine hundred guys. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, that, that was a chore. Two years ago, we went to Whitewater and, and uh, ran into the depth issue. And again, I, I felt like we did at St. Thomas. You uh, you ever compare notes with the folks at St. John's? There's obviously many similarities between the two institutions. Oh, we do. And actually, our uh, our current dean of enrollment uh, is a Wabash grad, but he worked uh, at St. John's for uh, several years. So, uh I, he's given us great insight into you know some of the things they attempted to do in recruiting. The, the hardest thing is to get a kid to visit your campus initially, because the last thing a 17-year-old kid wants to do is visit an all-male school with hard hard academics. Yeah. Um, so tell us a little bit more about what you guys have coming up for next season. Uh, you know, also a, a new defensive coordinator and uh, former Oberlin head coach Jeff Ramsey. And then, um, you know, who do you have taken the field? Who's, you know, who, kind of number of returners, that sort of thing. Sure. Really excited about Jeff Ramsey. He's like me. He was a former head coach. I thought he did a super job at Oberlin. In fact, uh, yeah, he, he, did. He, he beat us uh, uh, in 2012. Uh, with I think Oberlin probably had 38 guys dressed out that day, uh, and he did a fantastic job of coaching. Uh, I know him from his California days uh, as a coach, and uh, it, it is great to have him here on staff. Also, as I mentioned before, just having our whole staff back uh, is a huge help. I can't imagine uh, you know, trying to put a whole staff together and whatnot. That, that would really be a chore. And then we've got some fine uh, football players on both sides of the ball. Returning, Connor Rice was the starting quarterback. He's back. Uh, Drake Christian, Sammy Adams will be seniors at the wide receiver spots. Uh, both outstanding players. We've returned both our tight ends, uh, Dylan Burrush and Clay Fullenkamp. Um, we've returned a number of our starting offensive linemen, Tim Leith, Kyle Stucker, Darren Sturdivant. So, uh, uh, you know, clearly we'll be missing Mason Zurich. He'll be in law school somewhere. Uh, but uh, that, that's the tough one to replace is the running back spot. Then on defense, we uh, always at Wabash, we have a Burrish playing for us. Uh, <laughs> yep. You know, Ethan Burrish will be a senior. Uh, 
and he, he's a starter at linebacker force. Connor Ludwig is a fine player. He returns first-team all-conference player at backer. Austin Brown at safety. Uh, DeLon Pettiford and Brian Rice at corner. Um, so we've got the nucleus of a pretty good, uh, a pretty good football team. As we welcome back in Keith McMillan, uh, Keith, and I should mention when I was talking about coaching fourth and fifth graders, it was basketball and baseball, but not football. But I enjoyed that time of my life quite a bit, and I'm sure Morell did too. Hey, I have softball practice tonight for nine, eight, nine, and ten year old girls, so oh, uh, I I can relate to both of you guys. But uh, you know, the the first thing that pops out to me from that interview, uh, just as a whole, is it's so interesting to learn. Little details like that, and but also to get into deeper details like uh, like the support at, at Wabash, like the you know the difference between Wabash and St. Thomas really was that second wave of depth. I, I think that's what'll be cool about having these off season podcasts because um, during the season we're so so focused on the results and the the pursuit of the playoff spots and the different conference championships and all that stuff that you know we sometimes don't have time to to step back and and listen and learn to uh, listen to the the different kind of key players in D3 and by players I also mean you know movers and shakers rather than just people who actually play because obviously uh, coach Morell is a coach um, but I also think it, it the other thing that that wasn't said overtly in that interview but that kind of stands out is for a lot of these guys this coaching life is a it's such a I guess an odyssey maybe is the best way to put it like you know you 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 he spent time in California and then he kind of walked away from coaching for a while, not walked completely away from coaching, but left college because he was burned out. And then, you know, you get back, you, you get a call from somebody, you know, and you've worked with before and get a chance to go from California to Indiana, which like, you know, most people in Indiana are probably trying to go to California for the, for the better weather. I shouldn't say that. Nobody leaves uh, uh, Indiana, but um, okay. The, I just think it's such a it's such a kind of undersold part of of um what coaching life would be like. You know, we'll talk to Coach DePay in a little bit too. And he's bounced around different, you know, from Cal Poly to Navy to high school to Southern Virginia. You know, you probably take your first job out of college and you never imagine you're gonna end up in, in Buena Vista, Virginia at this small college that's trying to build football up. If you're BJ Hammer having left two months ago or so to take the head coaching job at Allegheny. Are you kicking yourself right now? You probably could have been the head coach at Wabash instead. Yeah, but I mean, hey, could, could he have known? I mean... Actually, I, I mean, maybe you could have known a little bit because, uh, as we mentioned before, uh, Rayburn has been applying at some places. Yeah, but the other thing I think about Allegheny, which is a cool uh, opportunity, is that they have that championship pedigree. you got to go back to 1990. It's been a long time. But a long if you time. can... If you can get that kind, you know, something approaching that administrative support because they've they've fallen off so hard recently, um, you're going to look really good and it's going to be a kind of rewarding experience for you because that's probably an an alumni base, at least the older alumni that really want to get back to that time when they were competitive. Yeah, there's certainly a a significant uh, ceiling for Allegheny. They have a lot of room to improve, especially over the past couple of years. You know, and you're in Pennsylvania, but on the side of Pennsylvania near Ohio, so you should have a fertile recruiting ground. When uh, when I was talking about depth in the interview, I started with it, with Morell about uh, talking about more kids, but really it has to be better kids in the number two spot on the depth chart as well, not just a, a greater number. And I was kind of just going through if we use experience as a stand-in for quality, because I'm not going to be able to go in and you know judge how good the the second guy is on the depth chart. 
Um, well, I looked at St. Thomas's depth chart for that game. Uh, they had six seniors, eight six seniors as backups, eight juniors, eight sophomores in the number two spot, and I felt that was a pretty good uh, a, a pretty good indicator of uh, the kind of guys they had coming in off the bench. Yeah, I mean, one of the things we've seen kind of constantly with with Mount Union and Whitewater is that they'll they almost are able to move groups in waves. Um, like you'll see a Mount Union offensive line, they'll all be juniors. And then the next year, they'll all be seeing, you know, they may have like one one player who's one year off, but you have like four juniors on the offensive line. So the next year, you have almost all senior offensive line and guys have all played together. Or the groups of linebackers at Whitewater that all, you know, they all start as sophomores and they all start as juniors and they all start as seniors. And, and then behind that, you know, you have all these guys who are certainly kind of talented, but um, but they got to, they have to get some time in too. To, to you have to play a little bit, and especially when you're winning by a blowout, you know you you get some time in the rotation so that when you do play, um, you know you're you're not totally green. And I think that is one of the reasons why the the great teams stay great in D three because I think winning attracts. Uh, obviously, it's a big advantage to go out and recruit off a playoff appearance or a stag bowl appearance, and so you're attracting more kids, and then you just bring them all in and let the let the cream rise to the top as far as who's going to start, and then and then the um you know the other thing is as you play those extra weeks in the playoffs, everybody else is playing ten games and you're playing twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. You know you you get that that opportunity to get better and have extra weeks of practice. So um, that that makes it awful difficult for for uh, a smaller school to try to compete i was just looking at wabash's past records um this past season they won you know double digit games for the second year in a row that's only the second time that they've done that in the you know in the expanded playoff slash d3football.com era whatever um but it seems like yeah they have they'll go and they'll win they won 12 games in 2002 then they won seven and six the next two years they won 11 and 05 and then they slipped back to eight the following year 11 and 10 in 07 08, then slipped back to 9 and 8, didn't even make the playoffs in 2010. Um, you know, 12 wins in 2011, then they slipped back out of the playoffs. And then, you know, this little bit of sustained success, but just never quite enough. And I think that, you know, probably having those uh, juniors and guys who are coming up to be seniors who had been backups before who are ready to play is, is some one of the things that separates the Purples and the other elites from Wabash, who might be the best program in uh, in a non-elite conference, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, that's a discussion worth having. Um, I, I think Wabash also has gotten, um, you know, they kind of been like the, the last team out or they kind of got the short end of the stick yeah. a, a couple times when, you know, when they're eight and two, and, uh, and and they're in the discussion, but they don't get in. Um, you know, that happens when you lose two games. That's You can't pin that on anyone else. But uh, And also you don't have a schedule that is is loaded enough for you to have those those extra wins that get you in. And, you know, they've, they've tried to play Hampton, Sydney, and Franklin in, in week one to, to make up for that a little bit. But uh, part of – it's just – I think it's just hard – if you're not one of one of these really successful, successful is not the right word because Wabash is successful. Not one of these um, resource-heavy schools where where you can support football and, and there's so many students where you can recruit. You know, you can bring in 200 kids or 150 kids and, and sort of let them sort themselves out. Um, I think for those schools, and we've learned this over the years, like winning the rivalry game and the conference championship is everything and then anything after that is just a bonus and, and I remember having this conversation with Jim Margraff uh, after they lost to Wesley in the second round of the playoffs this year this is Johns Hopkins so this is a school that 
Um, if they win the Centennial Conference, they get into the playoffs. I, man, that's that's they're happy. And now now everything from there is gravy. And I think to a degree for Wabash, you're always going to want to chase the Stag Bowl. But as we sort of deal with reality and realize, man, it's going to be hard to crack that Mount Union uh, whitewater nut. And because St. Thomas is so successful in all sports, um, you know, that, that's another team that's going to be good for a long time. I think it's, it's um, you know, you, you take, you, you, you appreciate how well you can do within you know, the, the competitive, I guess, environment. Back here on the Around the Nation podcast for D3Football.com. I'm Pat Coleman, and I'm in Buena Vista, Virginia. Actually, I didn't even check. Did we pronounce it Buena Vista? Or do you Buena Vista. I pronounce it Buena Vista, like the school uh, in Iowa in Division Three that everybody knows about. Well, there you go. We're talking with uh, Southern Virginia University head football coach Joe DePay, who, um, if you include the interim coaches, is the fifth head coach here in 25 months, or at least the third uh, coach in three seasons. Uh, been here for five weeks, coming into a program that's uh, struggled struggled for numbers, uh, struggled for all sorts of things, and you've taken it in this just over a month and starting spring practice here on the afternoon that we're talking. Absolutely. Been here a very short time, so certainly I'm drinking out of a fire hose, and it's it's coming out full blast right now. And uh, fortunately, we've been able to put together a, a really nice staff, and we we have guys that are willing and ready to roll their arms up or their sleeves up and go to work. And, and so we're just real excited about what we have going on right now, although we understand that we have a tremendous amount of work ahead of us. Southern Virginia University, just a, a little bit off of I-81. So if you go to the Stag Bowl, you uh, you pretty much drive past the exit. Um, but, you know, uh, a, a small school uh, with a, a Latter-day Saints connection, right? The only school in Division Three like that. So, you know, you guys as a staff uh, and previous staffs have always had this uh, big connection with uh, BYU. Yeah, uh, certainly. You know, being a private institution with the same standards as BYU has, um, you know, there's naturally going to be a fit where, where if a kid doesn't necessarily fit in at BYU athletically, then, you know, if the, if the young man loves football and wants to keep playing football, we have a, a natural fit for him right here. And, and that's always been really good. You know, I have experience coaching at BYU and uh, a couple of our coaches actually played at BYU. And it, it's, always, it's always good just to have that connection with those guys because uh, every LDS Mormon boy growing up, for the most part, wants to go to BYU one day. At one point, as they grow up, that's what their dream is. And, you know, as they, they get recruited, they end up at other places. And and then, obviously, some of those kids aren't aren't going to be given a scholarship at BYU. And uh, we have a home for them. So we're looking for every young man that wants to live, um, you know, that, that honor code that BYU holds and dear to their hearts. And, and at the same time, kids that want to go and thrive and, and be great individuals and be great football players that love the game, that's that's really what we're looking for. So is that the entirety of the recruiting pool that you guys are drawing from, or are you trying to draw from the, the other places that a school in southwestern Virginia might come from? Yeah, we're, we're looking for every young man that loves the game of football, high character, high integrity, that they just wants to go be in a safe environment where his friends aren't going to necessarily be dragging him to the bars to – Hey, let's go party Wednesday night. Let's go party Thursday night. Let's go. You know, it's just, you know, it's one of those deals where, where we just want to find kids that want to be part of this environment. And, and it's just, it's different. You know, every one of our campuses, as you walk on any campus across the country, is going to have its own identity, its own culture. And, and uh, 
you know, fortunately for us, this is the, it's a really good fit for a lot of individuals, whether they're Mormon or not, whether they're LDS or not. And so that has nothing to do with it. It's more, you know, here, here's kind of our standards. Here's what we expect. Is this who you are? If it's the right fit, then it's the right fit. And those are the kids that we end up with. Uh, program struggled last season. I, in five weeks, I'm not sure how much you uh, had an opportunity to watch tape uh, or even let alone to get to know your opponents, maybe to get your, to know your some of your own kids. But uh, you started the season, I think, last year with about 50-some players. You have uh, a little over 30 coming out for this uh, spring practice here this afternoon. So uh, how do you feel about in terms of numbers and where you might be come August? Well, I'll tell you what. We, we definitely have, have struggled over the past couple of years. And a lot of that has to do with with uh, you know the the schedule that we've played and and with the players that they've had here and, and and I mean there's a lot of factors that go into it but at the end of the day I've told my players that you know what I respect the past I respect what's happened I I respect the work that you've put in but from my standpoint all that I'm focused on is today and improving tomorrow and the vision ahead of us and those are the only things that that matter to me right now and so. You know, with the 30 kids that we have coming out for spring ball today as we kind of kick things off is, you know, what are we going to do today that's going to make you a better football player than you were yesterday? And that's going to be our approach day in and day out is to get a little bit better, kind of take the slight edge philosophy of, of just improving and sharpening our sword every single day to become a little bit better. Uh, certainly, you know, we, we need to go recruit, you know, a, a ton of kids. You know, we need at least 50 new kids on top of the 30, 35 that we have on campus right now. Um, you know, and that's going to be a process that, that we're working on. We, we have an unbelievable staff that, that I feel very blessed to be part of. Uh, two guys that have played in the NFL. They have 16 years of NFL experience and one Super Bowl ring combined, you know, between the two of them. And, and you know, just I, I just feel like, like I, I was really fortunate to get the guys that I have on this staff. And, and the good thing is there's, there's people that care about that and want to come play for these other guys. And, and that's kind of that's kind of where we're moving forward with this deal and with that philosophy that we need to roll our sleeves up, go to work, and, and bring in a bunch of kids and take it one day at a time as we improve. I, I want to talk about those coaches uh, in a minute as we go forward. But I also want to talk about, um, you know, you being new to Division Three and, uh, and Division Three spring ball, for that matter, uh, which is a, a different animal than it is anywhere else, really, in college football. Um, what do you... How do you expect or how do you hope to, you know, get those kids to make that day-by-day advancement that uh, that you're expecting, considering that, you know, there's no pads and that sort of thing? Yeah, no, great question. I'll, I'll tell you, one, one thing that I absolutely love about Division Three and the way that it needs to be done is, is just the fact that it still is student-athlete. And it's the idea of having a well-rounded student that is a great football player and can go and excel in, in a couple different areas, whether it be academics and football or uh, academics football and maybe something else depending on our students that we get to work with where at the d1 level where i've been you know um it, that's not the case necessarily as as many of us understand it's more it's more money driven it's more this is your job and d1 athletes for the majority they're living in the football facility and it's all football and and don't get me wrong, I love football, and and I loved working at, at some of the places that I've been in my past. But there's something special about the environment that we have here in Division Three, where where we're looking to have the right kid that wants to be great in multiple areas and can be. You know, we give them that opportunity to go and excel in other areas. So that's been really refreshing, uh, just to kind of bring back the the true meaning of student athlete. Now, 
when it comes to, to actually taking the approach of day to day and spring practice where you where you don't have the pads and the contact and and some of the resources that you have at a division one level uh man there <laughs> there is so much that we can work on we are i mean it's it's the the baby steps just all the little teeny tiny details of of you know footwork and hands and eyes catching a ball et cetera. There there's so much that we can work on without pads and and would it be great to have pads absolutely but we don't so it you know it's my philosophy is kind of it is what it is what are you going to do about it and and here we have a situation and and i promise you where we're where we're at right now as a program we can get better and a lot better um because there's a lot of room to grow you know after going one and 21 or two or whatever it is over the last couple of years so so that's kind of our approach with that uh, in addition to all of those things that you just described, plus, you know, maybe recruiting some of the kids who have left the program back off campus, uh, that sort of thing. Um, you've also, uh, you know, kind of inherited a, uh, a new office facility here on campus. So I understand there was uh, painting walls and installing projectors and, and all sorts of stuff that uh, occupied uh, you guys and the staff for the last month or so, too. You know, there, there's been a lot of great things that have happened. When I, my wife and I came out here about six weeks ago to look at Southern Virginia, and when we came in, it was very clear to both of us the commitment that the university is making to football. It's very clear that uh, President Wilcox, our, our our man in charge, and then of course our athletic director Jason Lamb are very committed to making football a priority, and that commitment is is something that was very clear and, and helped in the decision to say, yeah, let's move our family. My wife and I don't fall over, but we have seven kids and we're, we're moving our, our, our family across the country to come to Virginia. You know, we're originally from back West and we're moving out here because we, we truly believe in what, what the vision is of the university and, and the resources that they're providing. And, and with that being said, yeah, we, we have a, you know, they, they moved into a new football facility, you know, eight months ago, and, and then since then they've been, they've really upgraded that facility, and guys, believe it or not, we have blinds in our windows now. I mean, come on, it's a big time right here, and, and it, you know, it's, it's all those little things that, you know, some of you are laughing, and some of you might be wondering why you don't have blinds yet, but at, at the end of the day, um, the university is making that commitment, and, and when I saw that, and then when I, when I felt uh, just the genuine spirit of the individuals I spoke with on campus and, and got a feeling of what kind of people are here and what their commitment is. And, and there's a lot of people who have made great sacrifices to, to be here and, and, and to get to know those people and realize that, you know, hey, we really have a chance to do something special. And I'm not just talking, you know, here at Southern Virginia, but as you guys know, coaches are some of the best leaders in the world when it comes to actually motivating and, and taking a kid from point A to point B to change his life. And, and as I, as I walked campus and, and got to know more of the people here and saw that so many people on campus felt that way as well, uh, that was one thing that kind of drew myself and my wife to say, yeah, let's do this thing. And, and I think that same thing has helped, helped us in, in re recruiting a staff to come and join us here in Virginia. I noticed when I walked in on the board, a quote from uh, people might recognize from Frosty Westering, the longtime Pacific Lutheran coach, uh, make the big time where you are. 
I don't know if that is necessarily uh, blinds on the windows, but you have uh, you know some guys here on your staff, a couple of former NFL players who you uh, alluded to earlier, for whom this is a you know a significant departure from from what they've experienced football wise and where they've been before. So how do you uh, you know how, how do you apply that philosophy? And for that matter, where did you kind of come across it? Where did that uh, stick in your head from? Yeah, I absolutely love that. I, I'm, I'm grateful that Ian Shields actually shared that quote with me back when we were coaching together at Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo, California. And it's always stuck with me, you know, just that, that wake up in the morning and make the big time where you are, you know, whether you're in whatever state and whatever city, the day is yours and it's yours to go make it great. And, and we, sh- we share that, you know, amongst our staff members and, and yeah, you know, I have Ed Mulitalo, who 10 years in the NFL, has a Super Bowl championship, played for the Ravens offensive line, and and here he is. He's been in all the big-time facilities. We actually went up and visited the Ravens last week, and we walked in, and he was, like, treated like a king. We walked in there. He still has pictures on the walls and things, and, and guys just were like, wow, Ed's here, and they were taking care of him, and, and just being there with him, you know, we were all treated really well, but... Um, you take a, a man like that that is now coaching Division Three football because he loves the game of football and because he loves to have the ability to change a young man's life. Uh, that's why he's here. But he has aspirations, just like all of us, to go to the biggest place that you want to get to and have the biggest impact on young men. And one day we very well might see him coaching in the NFL. It wouldn't surprise me one bit. He's a great coach. But right now, here's where he's at. And it's a Division three program in Buena Vista, Virginia, where he's never lived. He's bringing his family with four kids to Buena Vista, Virginia. And here you have this man, and our staff is full of them, that are committed to making the big time where they are. You know, And, and at the end of the day, when we sit down and have staff meeting in the morning and, and kind of go through our routine, it's, you know, I, I've been in those other facilities. I've been in the D1 meetings and... There's nothing different from our meeting to their meetings with the exception of maybe more resources, maybe more money, maybe nicer chairs or maybe nicer whatever. But, but yeah, it's, uh, it's such a mindset, and we, we just can't get caught up in it being, oh, yeah, we're D3 or anything along those lines because, man, we, we have an opportunity to go and change the lives of 100 student athletes this season. And uh, some of you have 150 kids or more. We're <laughs> we're at 30, hoping to get to 85 by the by the fall. But but just to have that opportunity is is kind of where that all comes from. And just yeah, let's go make the big time where we are. And you know, I'm going to coach as if I'm coaching in the Super Bowl this week. And and that's just kind of our 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 take on it. And thanks to Frosty, we have that. And uh, it's just something that's stuck in my heart here for the last 15 years. I think if you got 100 or the NJAC max of 125 kids, the university would be very happy with you because that would be a huge boost to enrollment around here. Um, you, the, uh, you talked earlier on about the, uh, the level of competition that you guys have had to face, that this program has had to face over the last couple of years. Um, and the New Jersey Athletic Conference is one of the top six or seven conferences in Division Three football. I assume that you probably haven't done a whole lot of that scouting yet, but what do you, you know, how do you feel about what's facing you guys coming up this season in terms of having to play you know, national contenders like Wesley, folks like Salisbury, Rowan, that sort of thing? Yeah, it's, uh, I, I try not to think about it, <laughs> to be honest with you. It's, no, it's an unbelievably tough conference. The NJAC is, as you guys know, very, 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 very competitive. And, man, we have so much work to do to even get on a level where we can compete with those guys. And, and there's just great coaches in the conference, great athletes, great programs, great systems. 
and for us, you know, it's we we just gotta get ourselves right, number one, and and then, you know, go out and 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 try to win one quarter, and after we win a quarter, try and win a half, and 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 then kind of continue to build and try to win a game. But it's a uh, it's definitely an uphill fight that we have, and we understand that as a staff and and as a program, and and it's just kind of one of those mentalities that you know we. We have to go to work with a little bit of a chip on our shoulder because we have a lot more ground to make up to compete with those guys. I, I mean, yeah, they got beat down so bad one game last year that I'm, not, I'm embarrassed to tell you the score, but it was bad. And and we, and we have a lot of work to do. And, you know, it's a, it's a credit to the conference. It's a credit to Division Three football. Um, it also shows exactly where we're at and where we need to get to to, to just compete. Indeed, a long way to go to be competitive, Keith. That 91-7 loss to Salisbury that Dupay referenced there at the end is not the only time the Knights got clobbered last season. No, I mean, they, they only went over double digits uh, a couple of times in scoring. And look, when you have a small roster at a, and a young program and you're playing, as you mentioned, you know, Wesley, Salisbury, Rowan, uh, Court, you know, not Cortland State anymore. Boy, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm getting old. I'm dating myself. <laughs> Um, but you're, play, you're playing the, the, the good schools of, of the NJAC now, the new NJAC. And uh, you know, Christopher Newport's a, a good example of someone who didn't, didn't have a great record last year in the NJAC, but has traditionally been a, a really successful program in Virginia. And now that's the type of teams that, that Southern Virginia is playing every week. So um, it's, I, I, like, I found all that interesting. I was, it was great to hear from him. I, obviously, he's been places where they have more resources to work with, mm-hmm. but he's also been places where they've been successful. Navy is a great example. BYU is another good example of places where you got to work within some, you got to work with some challenges as far as who you recruit. Um, and still, they still manage to find a way to win. So I think um, it sounds like he has a real good grasp of who they're going after at Southern Virginia. And they're not just limiting it to, um, you know, the kids who are from a certain faith, but they're saying, look, if you want to come here and, and, and live this lifestyle, we'll, we'll welcome you in with open arms. And also if you want to play, you know, we, we got a lot of spots open. Uh, I, 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 find, I find all of it fascinating because we spend so much time talking about the Mount Union and Whitewater and St. Thomas and Mary Harden Baylors of the world and Linfield. Um, but Southern Virginia's building experience, this taking a program from, from next to nothing and, and trying to, to create something out of it, that's just as authentically D3 as all those other schools and maybe more relatable. On that campus, and, and just kind of walking around that area, um, it is a tiny campus. Like I mentioned, the uh, the number of full time undergraduates. It's really really small institution. Um, you, if you go to D three Sports on Instagram and and look back a couple weeks, you can see a video I shot from inside their gymnasium. It is a tiny little place to play basketball. Um, the football field uh, has been a. Uh, an issue maybe over previous seasons but they finally have some land of their own and they put turf on it last year and uh they're they had announced this uh grand uh grandstand building project which is not going to get off on time so they're probably going to play most of this season at uh, one of the local high schools uh there's a lot of uh there's a, a lot of way to go there um and you know again being in the NJAC I in all honesty as I looked back over last season I was surprised that they were competitive against William Patterson that was as uh, that was about as good as it got for them last season it was a it was a really tough year and they don't have they didn't have a lot of kids coming back they were concerned when I was talking to them beforehand uh, Joe uh, 
Joe and his brother, who's a, the assistant head coach, at how few kids they had out for spring practice. That They had kids in the 30s. And I said, you know, in all honesty, some places, 30s not a deal breaker. You, you look at, um, you know, first of all, if you have, let's say you've got a roster of 90 uh, and you had 20 seniors. So you're down to 70. You've got 10 guys playing baseball or lacrosse or something right. like that. So you, now you're down to 60. You've got 15 or you know maybe 12 guys who are hurt. So that's 48. And maybe you have two or three who are studying abroad. You know, that's still in the 40s or, or, or low 50s. I, I don't think that I didn't think that at least that was uh, was unsustainable. But uh, there definitely is a long way to go there in terms of numbers. Yeah, I mean, 30 is a deal breaker during the season right? Well, when you're practicing week to week. But you're right, for spring ball, uh, you know, spring ball is just for anybody who, who has a chance to, to improve their skills. So you're, you're right, that's one of the big parts of the D3 experience is so many guys are off um, pursuing other pursuits that, uh, you know, because part of the deal is football doesn't, is not year-round, 8, 10, 12 hours a day. You get to do those other things, and that and that's part of what um, part of what attracts everyone at D three. I, I find that this is actually kind of an interesting contrast too between Wabash and Southern Virginia because both of these schools are small schools under a thousand uh, enrollment. Now Wabash is all male and has been around for a long time. It's got probably a much um, deeper history and, and, and bigger endowment. But I, I thought just from from listening to Coach Dupay, sound like they have the the institutional support and that's really the the main thing you need to grow a program you got to have obviously coaches and coaches got to get players but but uh, you get that support and you got a chance well we're back on the around the nation podcast and we're joined by jeremy urban the head coach at trinity university in san antonio texas Jeremy is, uh, let's see, among other things, a, a former D3Football.com All-American, a, a nine-season veteran of the NFL, and a, a former assistant coach under Steve Moore, now entering his third season as the head coach of his alma mater. And uh, Jeremy, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet. Uh, last year, it was a, a nice bounce-back season for the Tigers, all things considered. Uh, you guys went 8-2, and two, uh, which did leave you a game short of a playoff spot, but still four wins ahead of the previous season. Is that a relief at all, being able to have that kind of success, considering where the program had been for a couple years prior? Yeah, a little bit. I, I don't know if in this building we would consider it a bounce-back year as much as a building year. Um, you know, there was a lot of change that went on in that first year. Um, Coach Moore gave me a great opportunity coming out of high school to, to play college football, great opportunity coming out of my playing career to start my coaching career. But we're, we're different guys, and you know there's going to be a transition there. So that first year, a little bit of transition, guys started figuring out what we wanted as a staff and, and started building on that at the end of 2014. Had a nice growth year last year, so we've got a long ways to go, but hopefully we can keep that tra- trajectory going. Yeah, because, I mean, you guys were definitely a, a Division three power at one point, no doubt about it. Uh, Trinity went to the semis in 99, quarterfinals in 2000, uh, Stag Bowl your senior year, 2002, but I uh, haven't been past the first round of the playoffs since. Uh, I mean, obviously the emergence of Mary Harden-Baylor has something to do that, but while, uh, but while they took a huge step forward, you know, Trinity and other programs took a step back as well. What are the, some of the reasons, you think? Well, I think that there are a lot of things that, that go into that. Um, you already kind of touched on the success that Trinity had, and, and I know for about a decade there, there weren't many programs in the entire com- country at any level that had experienced the, the success that Coach Moore and the Tiger program had. And just like you know, throughout history, I was a history major. You know, lots of rises and falls of empires. Um, a lot of that comes with, you know, maybe people 
getting a little complacent here or there, or other people putting a target on you and saying, hey, we're going to go go chase after that. And you, you have to tip your hat to a program like Mary Harden Baylor, who's who's come in and done a nice job. Um, Texas Lutheran's doing a nice job of growing as well and getting better every year. But again, different institutions. Um, you know, Trinity's got our our different standards that we we aspire for, and and I think that we're going back in the right way. We're getting getting Trinity guys in here, and and again, we're I think we're trending the right direction. There's a couple of programs at higher levels now in the San Antonio area that weren't there uh, a decade or so ago as well. Uh, Incarnate Word, you know, that sort of thing. Is that uh, is that a factor as well? No, we don't cross-recruit with them a ton, but I do think that it's brought a lot more awareness to San Antonio as the college town that it is. You know, we're the, the second biggest city in the state behind Houston. Um, the DFW Metroplex is bigger than us. It's uh, a major economic hub in the country. You know, there are a lot of good things going on, a lot of great reasons to be here, but people forget that it's it's a big-time college town as well. And I think that anytime you add an FBS and FCS program into your city, that brings some some more football awareness, and I think that's been a drawing um, card for a lot of our recruits the last couple of years too. All right, um, it's been an interesting few seasons for you guys and for the entire or whatever's left of the SCAC for football. Um, yeah. You know, you guys are playing the double round robin now this season. How do you prepare for facing each of those teams a second time? Is there any positive to that? Because I I I can't imagine having to do that. Well, you know, you, you obviously develop some relationships um, with guys on the other side of the football from you. And it's not conventional in college football by any means. Nobody else is doing it. It was uh, kind of forced upon us because of the, the conference structure and the fact that later in the season it's hard to get games because everyone else is in their conference play. But, you know, you see a lot of passion, a lot of um, great games at the end of the NFL season because those those teams know each other. Coaches, you know, have to look at game planning differently. You know, what kind of wrinkles are going to be coming out? It really, there really are some positives. And after going through it for nine seasons in the NFL with our division opponents, you know, I kind of learned how to prepare for it. And we've been in a situation here at Trinity um, because of the way previous scheduling was set up to to have a little experience. You know, we've played Southwestern a couple of times the last couple of years. Um, we played Austin College twice last year. Pat, it is at any level, it's difficult to beat a team twice and to have so much on the line this next year, everybody playing double round robin. Um, it's not conventional. It's, it's not ideal in the college setup, but I think that it's going to provide a great competitive environment for our guys and something, something different. You know, they can say they're going to do something this fall the same way the Cowboys and the Eagles do it. Yeah, good point. Uh, you brought up the NFL um, experience, obviously nine seasons, uh, 91 career receptions, uh, eight touchdowns, a catch in the Super Bowl. It's a pretty memorable career. Uh, tell us, and especially the, uh, the the D3 NFL prospects, what your path was like to get to the league, what you had to do to get there. You know, I wasn't drafted. Um, had a junior day, um, kind of started making it a little bit more real for me. Had some people encouraging me that, that they thought I might have some opportunity there if I had a good season. But like anything, you, know, you need success from others around you, and I definitely benefited from having Jason Hunt on the other side of me. You know, Jeremy Boyce in the backfield, Roy Hampton throwing the football. You know, we put up PlayStation type numbers um, throughout the entire year, and you know, we had a chance to play together for three years going, as starters going into that year. So senior year played out. Um, had I think five different pro day opportunities here at Trinity this spring of my senior year that we'd sandwich around track meets and track practices and stuff and signed with a, as an undrafted free agent with the Seahawks. Um, I just kind of kick-started. I knew that I had a long ways to go 
and you know it's kind of one of those little greedy situations you know I was at college in college just kind of praying for a practice squad opportunity so that I could say that I got there and then I got there and got the practice squad opportunity and realized that I was just as good as a lot of those guys and just prayed for an opportunity on the field and um, never really settled but realized that you know with hard work and dedication just kind of proving that it meant something to me compared to maybe some of the other guys who were just there to say they were there um, kind of opened up a lot of other doors. What's the most important thing you would tell a, a, a kid who's going into his senior year right now who thinks he's got a chance at the league? You have to dominate your competition. You need to not be scared to pull others along with you because like I already mentioned, you know, if you're not winning football games and um, it, it's hard to, hard to get recognized at any level. Um, you see it, you know, there are a lot of great football players at um, FCS schools or even FBS schools that, that aren't on successful teams. And that's not going to be the end-all, be-all, but you need to, to have some recognition. And, you know, pull those guys along. Um, don't count yourself out, but realize that you're competing against a very, very small group of guys across the entire country. Um, don't just think you're competing against a guy in your locker room. You know, it's 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 different and you have to attack every single day and train yourself with the mentality that, that you're going out to to win a job because that's what it is it's a job and you have to have a different mentality it was kind of a relatively quick transition for you i guess from player then to assistant coach and then after only a couple of seasons as assistant coach then to head coach what's that uh what's that kind of arc been like for you oh it's been it's been crazy um you know Sandwich in there is a, the birth of identical twin boys and a daughter who's now in kindergarten. So it's it's been a very very fast um, last you know whatever it is now four years since 2012 when I first started as an assistant DB coach here. But um, you know it's 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 about preparation. No matter what, um, I think that we had a great example of a guy who prepared for every single situation on the football field and, and in life with Peyton Manning just walking away. You know you you constantly heard that as people talked about him, you know, how much he prepared, how he was ready for every situation. And I knew at the end of the day, I wanted to coach. Um, I wanted to play as long as I could. I wasn't ready to quit playing like so many people in the NFL. They, they made that decision for me um, by nobody offering me a job. But for nine years, I was preparing for this moment. You know, I, I took notes from coaches who I respected, who I played for, had a chance to play for two guys who I consider Hall of Fame coaches and Bill Parcells and Mike Holmgren, both Super Bowl winning coaches. I played for a guy who, who's a Hall of Fame coach here at, at Trinity, and Steve Moore um, was able to take a lot of things from those guys, positive and things that maybe I figured I, I wouldn't do because it didn't fit my personality, because I wanted to make sure I was ready, you know, if and when the opportunity presented itself. It's going to be an interesting year for you guys too. I counted 22 seniors off of last year's roster too, right? Yeah, you're right. Um, a lot of guys who who really showed young guys the importance of of commitment and sit, seeing things through. You know, we took a lot of pride last year in the fact that, um, you know, we, we recruit smaller classes here. And, um, you know, we don't do a lot of the mass recruiting that's common across Division Three. And we had more seniors than um, a lot of the schools that, that had way larger classes than us um, coming in as freshmen. Those guys took a lot of pride in that, which was important because a lot of those guys were not every down players for us. You know, we only really lose three guys on defense. Um, we only lose three positions is what I'm calling it on offense because you know, we had two seniors on offense who split our tailback position. But, you know, we, we've got a lot of guys who are young playing last year, but they learn important lessons from those 22 seniors on the importance of embracing your role, 
I mean, the importance of the team aspect um, and, and just really unifying. And that, that was a huge factor in our success. Yeah, at Trinity is a school that is probably, I would guess, not going to be one that's going to allow you to have 150, 180 kids on the roster. So what, is it, uh, what does it look like? Uh, what's the maximum or the ideal in terms of size for you guys? You know, we don't have a, a roster um, restriction imposed on us by, by the university um, or by our conference. But it, there, there is something that, you know, we like to try to adhere to here staff-wise. You know, we're all about making sure that we ensure development with our guys and that they have their role, that they're coached to the highest degree. They're more than just a number here. So, you know, we're trying to stay around the 110 range. Um, and, and we have our reasons for that. And we think that they're they're pretty good and, and again we've we've been able to build a really strong nucleus here the last couple of years i think we're building on it this spring um, a lot of really really quality young men and great football players who've decided to become tigers next fall so um again we are we are special you know it's a great school um you know we have our academic requirements that we need that kind of limits early on who we can go out and recruit and for that i think it's awesome um, a lot of high school coaches are realizing again who we are um, academically and they're giving us the right kids right off the top and we're able to get to know them and their families very very well um, so it's all about knowing who you are Pat um, you know what works for us isn't going to work for everybody else and vice versa and just embracing that and going out and maximizing your opportunities with it yeah. one of the things we've asked uh, some of the other coaches who've appeared on the podcast coming up uh, for this one is you know what is spring practice like for you guys do you guys have the full the full package of all 15, 16 practices, that sort of thing, or what does it look like? Yeah, we, we kind of mix it up a little bit. Um, again, kind of drawing on that NFL experience, it's the only difference between this and the 16 OTA mini, mini camp practices that I had were the fact that those guys have helmets, and I wish that we could at least have that just to yeah. prevent guys from getting poked in the eye inadvertently and all that kind of stuff, but you know, we do a lot of teaching. Um, we, we throw the football around and, and go out there and run around and have a good time, but we definitely make sure that the weight room's a focus at that point in time, but then also use it as a time to, to really hammer in the classroom, you know, our, our core principles. Um, we don't get a lot of time with these guys in the spring. We want to make sure that they understand, you know, that, that, you know, who we are in the fall as a football program and our, our beliefs and our mentality, you know, that that's a year round type of deal. And we want to make sure that we're teaching those things throughout the year. Coach Urban hit on a couple things there that a lot of schools can relate to the difficulty of recruiting in D3, but the skill in knowing who you are and embracing that in Trinity's case, it's saying we're a very good school academically. So it doesn't make as much sense to cast a wide net as it does to target the players who would succeed here and spend a lot of time recruiting them and keeping the classes together once they're enrolled, which is something you don't necessarily hear uh, coaches in D3 talk about a lot. A lot of times they're just recruiting numbers, letting players sort themselves out, and then kind of sticking with who, whoever can stick. Mm -hmm. I think that putting that effort into trying to keep a class together because you know you don't have another huge class coming in right behind it is a, is a very key thing. And I, I think now this whole podcast taken together where you have all-male Wabash, you have small and growing Southern Virginia, and then you have Trinity, um, I think it illuminates kind of how everyone in D3 has uh, these recruiting challenges, right? But they're all different. Some places have the academic restrictions like Trinity or Washington and Lee. Some have conference restrictions like the NESCAC and the SCIAC, which, you know, how, how many games you can play or when you can start practice or roster limits like the WIAC 
100, 100 man roster limit, the NJAC 125. Uh, Don Morrell was talking about just the, the hard part uh, for Wabash is just to get a kid to visit an all male campus, right? Because you're in high school and most of these guys are thinking about um, um, being with, trying to meet as many girls as possible. Uh, at Coast Guard, you know, they have like the, mil- and the military academies, the, the Norwiches of the world and, and uh, the Marines. Marine maritime, uh, main maritime and mass maritime, you know, it can be weight restrictions or the difficulty of finding kids who want to play football and have that future life in, in all of us, everyone at D3, nobody's giving full ride scholarships for academics. So I think all these different things um, that, that the three coaches today have highlighted help show us what makes D3 so unique. And uh, the other thing I thought that that Coach Urban said that was really interesting was that even though their conference has been reduced to four teams and they have to play Austin and Southwestern twice, and, and this year they're going to play Texas Lutheran twice, uh, they still get some cool opportunities to travel. Last year they went out to Pacific Lutheran and Tacoma, Washington, which is a long trip from Texas. This year they'll go to Chapman in Southern California and they play Redlands at home. So that's two California teams. And as a player, that's fun. Just those trips are the times you really enjoy and remember. And uh, I thought Coach Urban had a good attitude and, and a ready-made response for having to play teams twice, right? It makes you more creative for the second game. And it's just like the Cowboys and the Eagles, which uh, that, that goes over pretty well in that part of Texas. <laughs> I think it probably goes over pretty well with you too, doesn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> um, one of the interesting things, of course, that uh, or there's two interesting things about Trinity that we did not end up talking about in the interview. One is uh, because it's not happening until 2017 that they're, of course, moving back in it's not back into. They're moving into the Southern Athletic Association, where they're going to meet a lot of their uh, former conference rivals, uh, folks like. Um, you see, I want to start with Hendricks, of course, which didn't have football when they were together. But you know, Center, Sewanee, Rhodes, uh, Birmingham Millsaps. Southern, Millsaps, exactly. Um, so that's not happening for another year. But you know, the other thing too is when I visited, first time I visited Trinity back in 1995. I um, saw so all these gorgeous facilities and some award-winning facilities too, and then there was the football stadium, um, which was, you know, has been, I must say, an eyesore, but it's not particularly attractive. Let's just put it that way. Um, finally, in the course of this past year or so, they've unveiled plans for how they're gonna uh, how they're gonna upgrade that. So it'll be interesting to see how uh, how that develops and how quickly that develops as well, because that could be something that could help them out in Texas to have a, a stadium like. Uh, like what they had is a, a little bit of a, uh, an, I guess an eyesore is not really the word I meant, but it works. Yeah, Pat, you and I have been doing this long enough now, um, going back to the 90s, that if a school hasn't made some kind of upgrade in yeah. that time, yeah. they've probably fallen way behind their peers. Um, you know, And it's something that coaches constantly talk about when they're trying to recruit. You, gotta, you just got to have something doesn't have to be giant, doesn't have to be super expensive, but it has to be something that when you come to campus, the players feel like, all right, this place feels like home or this will be a cool place to play or something to, to, to just uh, hang your hat on. And you, and you have to be able to offer everything that everyone else that you compete against is offering um, just as far as the opportunities in the weight room and, and all that kind of stuff. And we have been through this long enough, Keith, that, you know, remember when I don't know if it was necessarily stadium upgrades, but at one point it was weight room upgrades were the big thing, and then it was video board upgrades are the big thing, and and that's probably still happening uh, throughout Division Three. And uh, I don't know if um, I, I can't imagine that Mary Harden Baylor building that uh, uh, palace down there in Belton is going to trigger uh, you know fantastic revival of Division Three grandstands because we don't all need uh, eleven thousand seats or <laughs> seven thousand seats or whatever. But uh, it would be nice to see some of those things be the the kind of the next wave. 
Yeah, I mean, there was also a time when you know adding the turf just made too much sense for yeah. D three teams, right? Because you sometimes have to have your lacrosse or your soccer team play on the same field, and they're all tearing up the field. So it made sense to get turf. Uh, having having a facility uh, that was open to all students, but but have that was a, another facilities race that took place at one point, kind of building the big gym, uh, work at you know like a. More like the the commercial kind of gym. Yeah, more like know? a health club rather than a... Yeah, yeah, that's the word I was looking for. Those kind of... That was a big thing at one point. You had to have that somewhere on campus. And so um, as these other schools try to catch, you know, catch up, the, the next school's already building the next wave. And it is kind of a constant facilities race. And it's tougher in D3 because you don't have as much money pouring in. So you have to highlight what's unique about your experience or your school. And so, you know, for Wabash, it's, it's that all-male experience, but that really close bond that uh, that the alumni seem to share with uh, with everyone else, and for Southern Virginia, you know, a lot of it will be based around the the LDS faith, and, and for Trinity, it's that that high academics, that opportunity to be in a in a city like San Antonio, but also be on an enclosed campus. Each each team and each school has something unique that they're trying to sort of sell to their players, and uh, the ones who do it the best, I guess, uh, get the get the first crack at at who they want to recruit. All right, folks, that's our first uh, Around the Nation off-season podcast. Hey, we didn't talk about a Purple Power at all. How about that? Oh, we did name drop a lot of them. Uh, I yeah, did yeah, anyway, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. but you're right. But but I think that's maybe what we can spend some of these off-season podcasts doing is, is um, focusing more on stories and less on results. Yep, and I figure we'll probably always talk uh, in each of these. We'll try to talk to someone who's new to their position. Uh, we'll try to talk to someone who's established. I would love to talk to uh, you know some of the former players who have played in the NFL. I was fortunate that we had one who's also a head coach, so we could talk to Jeremy Urban this uh, in this in this particular podcast. But we will try to reach out to some of those other people as well uh, who aren't coaching, who might still be around and uh, and interested in talking. You know what I mean? I didn't say that very well, but this is a no edit podcast. Um, also just to talk about what's coming up over here in the course of the next couple of weeks, we always get questions as to when the new season schedules will get released. And of course, you know, that's dependent on the schools completing and releasing them and everybody does that on their own time frame. However, uh, we have the 2016 schedule pages up for each team so you can see what we have. And by the time you hear this, we'll have about 75% of the games listed for the upcoming season. So check those pages out on d3football.com when you get a chance. We'll also uh, be making some announcements, probably not uh, on the site, but maybe in the next podcast about uh, some of our new columnists for the upcoming season and that sort of thing. So uh, keep an eye out for that as well. And, you know, again, if you uh, if you downloaded us, uh, if you if you were surprised to see this download on your uh, on your iPhone or whatever, um, we are so glad that uh, you listen. We are going to keep doing this because, um, you know, it's a lot. Actually, it's a lot of fun to talk about football in the offseason, which is why everybody talks about football in the offseason uh, at every level. So this was Around the Nation podcast number 147, released April 4th, 2016. Thanks for listening and tune in for the rest of our coverage throughout the offseason. If you like our podcast, please, please consider rating it in your iTunes or your other podcast uh, provider or store because that will help other Division Three football fans find it. Thanks for following Division Three football on d3football.com. And next time, we'll try to stay under an hour, but no guarantees. <laughs> well, you could edit it, I guess. That takes so much work. It's a no-edit podcast. Yeah.